We're going to read from the Bible now. Um, so our reading is taken from John 15, starting at verse 1. Um, in the Pew Bibles, that is page 1083. 1083. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, remembering that this is God's word, so we can trust it entirely. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean. Because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Well, let's turn together to John 15, those verses that uh, we read earlier. I wonder, do you have an answer for why it is we are still here? Why is it, if we are Christians, that we don't get immediately translated into glory? There are all sorts of uh, ways of answering that question, I suppose, but one of them, at, at least, is that God has us here for, well, for fruitfulness. He wants us to bear fruit. One of the things that Francis Schaeffer writes helpfully about in his book on the Christian life, True Spirituality, is he writes about the theme of fruitfulness. And he interweaves two biblical images, and he sort of jumps between them. One is that of fruitfulness as the bride of Christ, not really an image that I had thought much about before, but it's that idea that, that just as very often when a husband and 
and wife come together. In many instances, there is fruit in the sense of children. And so, having become, as God's people, the bride of Christ, there is an expectation of fruitfulness from that union. It's picked up in Romans chapter 7. We were looking at Romans chapter 7 before uh, Christmas. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. And in fact, one of the ways of translating that as the authorized version says, is you may be married to another. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may be married to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We've, we've been brought into this union with Christ in order that we might bear fruit for God. The, the other image that Schaefer uses is the one that we're more familiar about with, and the one that we're going to think about a little again tonight about, is that of the vine and the branches. It's in this passage in John 15. It's part of the upper room <clears throat> discourse. Uh, we sometimes call it the farewell discourse on the Thursday night of Easter. Jesus gathers His disciples to share that Passover meal with them. He washes their feet. He, he uh, teaches them. Some of Jesus' most memorable teaching comes from uh, that occasion and the way, the truth, and the life. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit, uh, about opposition. He prays with them before going off to Gethsemane with them where uh, He is arrested. They scatter. And right in the middle of all of that, there is this teaching about fruitfulness. Now, I suppose there is some sense in which those things that are said in the upper room at this particularly critical time in the life and ministry of Jesus have a particular weight for the disciples coming as they do on the eve of the crucifixion. And Jesus may well have intended them to have that particular weight, but there is that sense, I think, in which these are things that are essential for the future for them. Their, their future mission of, of being the, the people that God has called them to be, the, the apostles, the disciples, as they bring His name to the nations. Fruitfulness. He teaches them about how to bear fruit. And the image that He uses there is not that of a bride and a husband, but of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches, He says. And the vine, of course, we know it was a religious symbol. It was an image associated with Israel. It was on their coins. There was a great golden vine on the front of the temple. There are Old Testament instances of Israel being referred to as the vine. So, for example, Psalm 80 is speaking of God. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Beautiful picture, isn't it, of God as the gardener. He takes His people out of Egypt. He plants them carefully into the promised land that they might uh, multiply and spread. And now Jesus comes along, and He says, I am the true vine. Incredible shift in the, 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 the purposes of God or the declared purposes of God from His people being identified with the people of His, uh, being identified with the vine, uh, to now Jesus being identified as the vine, the old covenant to the new covenant. It's a remarkable claim. God's saving purposes tied up with the people of Israel. Now Jesus says they are focused on me. It's a, it's a tremendous shift. But Jesus doesn't expand on that here. 
he goes on to, to develop this picture to teach the disciples and us about fruitfulness. A particular fruit that uh, Jesus has in mind is not specified. Some people have suggested it's converts as they launch out in this great mission, this great evangelistic mission of the church. It's, it's probably left deliberately open so that it is, in that sense, everything the Lord Jesus calls us to do, to, to do uh, and to be. And, and here we just want to see for a moment or two, as we realize here we are at the start of this year, what, what is it that we want from this year? We, we want fruitfulness. We want to be fruitful followers of the Lord Jesus. And there are a number of things here that Jesus makes clear are really essential for fruitfulness. The first one is we really must be in Christ. We must be united uh, to Christ. It, it is that image of being united to Christ that is one of the really common ways of talking about what it means to be a Christian. And it's the truth that's behind this image here. He is the vine. His followers are the branches. They, they're attached to the vine. The, the life of the vine is, is flowing through them. And it is that that is bringing about their fruitfulness. They, they're, they're not straining, as it were, to, to bring about fruit. It is the, the life of the vine that is flowing through them. Remember in Galatians, Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This, this vital connection to the Lord Jesus. And the branches, of course, are absolutely dependent upon the vine. We can, we can do nothing without Him. There's also the possibility of an unfruitful branch being taken away and burned. You see, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So, what does this mean? Well, on the one hand, Jesus is emphasizing the, the, the absolute security of his people. We've known that back in chapter 10, where he speaks about his sheep, and he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. There is that. And here he implies something similar as he says to his disciples, they are already clean. It's not that they're on probation. It's not that he's saying to them, well, we're going to see how you're doing. And if you sort of make it through the next number of months, then perhaps we'll give you some sort of reward, some sort of right standing with the Father. No, no, no. He, he says that the final verdict over your lives is already given. You're, you're, you're already clean. You're already justified, we might say. And yet here, there are also branches, unfruitful branches, that are clearly destroyed. So, so how do we put these two things together? How do we understand the security of God's people, and yet this, this picture of the branches being taken away and destroyed. Well, the whole thrust of this passage is that fruitfulness is essential to what it means to be a genuine disciple. It's a mark of a genuine disciple. It's, it's proof of it. You see verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is just saying, it, it, it's, it's inconceivable for someone who has genuinely been joined to me to be unfruitful. Someone who is unfruitful is, is shown not to have that life-giving link. They, they only appear to, to have a, a, a connection with me. Calvin says on this, it may be asked whether 
anyone engrafted in Christ can be fruitless? I reply that many are reckoned by men's opinions to be in the vine who have in fact no root in the vine. And one of the things that the, the Bible speaks about quite often is that possibility of well, what we sometimes call apostasy, that, that abandonment of Christ refers to someone who, who turns their back on Jesus. And across the, the church, across the Christian church, there are all sorts of ways of understanding what goes on whenever that happens. We, we know people, perhaps, who have taken that path, but our sort of tradition generally understands that, that when someone walks away from Christ in an in a, a, a unchanging way, we tend to say, well, it was probably the case that they were never really Christians in the first place. That seems to be what the Bible says. John speaks in 1 John 2 and 19 about those who'd left the church. And remember in those days, you couldn't just go to the, the next church up the road. To leave the church was really to leave Christ. And this is what he says, they went out from us, but they were not off us. For if they'd been off us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not off us. There's no hint that while they were there, there were many indications that they weren't really believers, but their leaving the fellowship had shown that, that they really didn't know the Lord Jesus. What one preacher sums this up, and he says this, if we have faith, we can never really lose faith. If we really lose faith, then we never really had faith. Now, make no mistake about it, these people can look as if they are genuine for a time. Hebrews chapter 6 is really worth looking at on that. And here, there is a particular context in mind. Judas has been in the room. He's left at this point. He leaves the room back in chapter 13, verse 30. And Jesus warns that one will betray him, and there's confusion. And Jesus says, it's the one that I'm going to give this bread to. He gives it to Judas, and Verse 30, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Night was not just the time of day, it was how Judas's heart was at that point. The light of the gospel had not penetrated his heart. And yet the other disciples didn't know. They, they, they were just completely confused about that. When, when they said, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't say, oh, that, that'll be Judas, we, we, we know about him. No, to all intents and purposes, he, he looked just like another branch. He took part in all their outreaches. He, he preached, presumably. He probably cast out demons with the others when they had successful mission trips, like in Luke chapter 10. He looked like the, the other branches, but he was ultimately unfruitful. And, and so, one of the keys as we think about what does it mean to be fruitful it's really saying we must be sure that we are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is one of those questions that we ought to, to ask ourselves, to check in with ourselves with now and again. And you see, the thing is, if we begin to, to drift, we, we don't know where we're really drifting to. Are we just having a short break? Or is it the beginning of a and move away from Christ altogether like it was for Judas, with no coming back. You know, within our culture, our Northern Irish Christian culture, there is that sort of category of backslider. 
It's become a sort of a, a safety category for some people. Some people, I, I know, I ask them, you know, where are you with, with Jesus? And they say, oh, well, you know, I'm a backslider. And they're saying, well, I'm not walking with Christ now, and, 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 uh, I, I, but I'm not as bad as I could be. And, and, you know, there's something there. Now, it may well be that many of those who say, I was once a Christian, I used to be a Christian, were for a time saying, well, I was just a backslider for a while. Now I see that I was never really a Christian in the first place. And so, so there's a warning in this passage. There's, there's much encouragement. We're going to come to that. But at the beginning of this passage, we really need to ask that question, are we truly in the vine? And if, if we're sort of stumbling into the year, we're just chatting with a few people before the service, and we I think maybe many of us feel we're stumbling into the year, but maybe if, if we are tired and we're thinking, you know, I'm going to give this one last shot, then I think I'll maybe take a break for a while. I'll step back. I'll skip church a bit. I'll forget about reading and praying. Well, we just don't know where that's heading, do we? Sinclair Ferguson says this, the solemn fact is that none of us can tell the difference between the beginning of backsliding and the beginning of apostasy. He says both look the same. So, we really must make sure that we are in Christ. And that's not to say, was there a time that I decided for Him in the past? The question is here and now, tonight, is He, as we've been singing, our only hope in life and death? Are we trusting Him now? To be fruitful, which is why we're here, well, we really must be in the vine. To be fruitful, we must know that we're going to be pruned by the Father. That's the second thing. You see, in verse 2, every branch in me that does bear fruit, that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it will be even more fruitful. So, so this is what fruitfulness looks like from the perspective of a genuine believer, we, we are to be pruned. Some of us are, some of, some of you, some of you are gardeners, and uh, you, you know all about this. You, you, you know about pruning roses and apples and all sorts of things. And, and for a while, uh, it looks as if you've, you've killed them. And yet, the secret to that strong crop or those beautiful flowers are the appropriate pruning at the appropriate time. Not too much, not too little, just, just what you as the expert gardener know is needed. And the picture is not that hard to, to translate to our lives, is it? The, the Father prunes, <clears throat> paring back the, the bits of our lives that are perhaps unfruitful or, or that are, are necessary to adjust so that something more might come. Uh, we used one time here an illustration <clears throat> from Brian Chappell. It was in a video that we had. It was in a midweek. And he was talking in the video about uh, how God allowed His people to go through difficult experiences. And uh, he had the end in mind when he knew that those hard things in our lives would lead us to know Him better and more deeply. And, and, and he used this story. He 
He pastored at that time a church in Illinois beside one of the great caterpillar factories where they make the great dump trucks and, and, and so on. Some of these tremendous things that work in these open cast mines and quarries that uh, have maybe 20 cylinders if you're into engines and 4,000 horsepower, just incredible. And, and, and those pistons run off a piston rod or several piston rods, and, and there's so much force involved in them that, that they could hardly make them strong enough. And so they came up with this process to, to make them strong. They would make the piston rods, and, and then they would freeze them, and they would score them, and they would break them. And then they would re-weld them and plate them. And they would end up somehow stronger than they ever were at first. Though they were broken, they were better. It didn't make much sense, perhaps, to many people, but it made sense to Caterpillar, and it, it makes sense to God because He so often breaks us to make us better. So right at the heart of some of those great engines, there is a scar, and yet they are marvelously productive. Isn't that true for so many Christians? There are scars, there are hard things, there are difficulties, and yet it is in those very things that we have grown, that God has met us, that we have trusted God more, we've been made more ready for the next thing. It's part of our story, and we wouldn't know Him as we do were it not for that. Fruitfulness involves God pruning us. And then fruitfulness, and, and thirdly and finally, fruitfulness it, it involves us abiding in the vine. It's a repeated uh, refrain in these verses. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's an obligation here on the disciples. There's a sense in which some of the things that Jesus has been telling them up to this point are, are things that he is saying, you, you know, this is going to happen to you. But, but here he's saying, here is something you must do. You've got a responsibility to abide in the vine. What does that, what does that mean? Does it, does it mean something very mystical that we, that we walk around each day sort of half present because we're caught up in some sort of spiritual experience. Well, there's, there's nothing mystical really set out for the disciples here. You see what Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So, Jesus ties abiding in Him, in His love here, He ties that to keeping His commandments. Seems very simple in some ways. We talk a lot about God's love being unconditional and, and, and that it does not look for conditions to be fulfilled before He comes to us. That's true. But, but alongside that, there are conditional promises from God. This is one of them. We will abide in Jesus' love if we keep His commands. So, so there are things, it seems, to experience with Jesus that are not given to the half-hearted, to, to wayward children. There are blessings withheld to the disobedient. 
He gives us, even in our disobedience, far, far more than we would imagine and that we deserve. But as we look to Him and go with Him and walk in His ways, the the blessings magnify tremendously, don't they? Schaefer speaks about this uh, helpfully, the ongoing life of fruitfulness being like a, a continuation of what happened whenever we became Christians. If, if we remember that event, what did that look like? Well, we, we looked to Christ, we rested in His finished work, and we received the, the blessing of salvation. And then we really continue to do that through our Christian lives. He says this, we accept Christ as Savior one moment, and our guilt is gone on the basis of the value of the finished work of Christ. But after we become Christians, the moments proceed. The clock continues to click. And in every moment of our time, our calling is to believe God and raise the empty hands of faith and let the fruit flow through us. He, he, he in that chapter, he, he raises our expectations. It's beautiful. He says, there are oceans of grace that await. Orchard upon orchard awaits. Vineyard upon vineyard of fruit awaits. How is that? How can we know that as we start out on this year? Because it is God's life flowing through the branches. And we just just abide in Him. Sometimes as we read the Bible, the tone of of how we we hear it is really important, isn't it? It it doesn't seem that the tone of this passage is, you know, if you don't stick close to me, your Christian life's going to be a disaster. No, no, the the tone is of of rich blessing being available. You see, here they are, they're they're disciples. They're they're just on the the verge of of the crucifixion and all of that. They, They are fearful. He has to say to them in chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. He tells them that he's going to send another helper to them in chapter 16. And here he says, man, you you can be fruitful as you abide in me. Fruitfulness is is promised. It's it's encouraged. It's it's inevitable as as you abide. Notice that he promises fruitfulness in prayer, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't, isn't, isn't the, the liberality of Jesus' promises just so striking? Stick close to me and ask whatever you want for. Your prayers will be answered. As your heart is transformed, his spirit will prompt you, your priorities will change, his, his things will become increasingly your things. The desires of your heart will be things that, that please the heart of Christ, that he'll be delighted to answer your prayers. So in other words, as, as we think about what it means to walk with him, don't, don't think that your impact will be small or negligible. Don't think you won't be able to do anything or be anything as a child of God. Don't look at your impact. Look at look at the look at the vine. 
as you give yourself to Him, as you abide in Him, fruitfulness, you see, will, will follow. The fruit of the Spirit will, will grow in you. Christ will be formed in you. Your prayers will be answered. He'll work in you. He'll work through you. To be fruitful, we must really be in Christ. To be fruitful, we must be pruned by the Father. To be fruitful, we must abide in Him. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, oh, I'm not really sure how this year is going to go for me as a Christian. I, I, I feel like giving up. Don't think you're on your own. Lots of people walk up that hill and they feel like giving up. But don't draw back. Because if it all sounds a bit stretching and, and, you know, fruitfulness and pruning and prayer and so on, let, let me point out to you why it's worth it. Look, look what Jesus says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you, do, do you see? This is the tone thing again, isn't it? Jesus calls us into this deep relationship with him in which his life flows through us, in which his character is formed in us, in which his work is done through us, in which his joy is experienced by us. He's saying to these disciples, look, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to send you another helper. As you stick with me, there's going to be fruit. Do you see? This is how you'll know full joy. In Christ, pruned by the Father for our good and abiding in Him.